We are on a mission, a mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Podcast, we dive into current events that are shaping how pharmacists approach their patients and their businesses. Fuel your passion for pharmacy one conversation at a time. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. Um, Josh Howland here with me is Mark Bivens. So we have Barry Klein with Klein's Pharmacy here today. Um, I am excited to talk to Barry. I usually get to talk to Barry every year somewhere, right? And so does Josh, probably at a, yep. like a Connect conference or um, some other specialty conference. And I, COVID has not allowed us to get our fix, uh, but um, he had a rider today at a contingency today. He said... You know, if you can make me look like either George Clooney or Brad Pitt, I'm game. <laughs> and talk to the creative department. They said we could take care of it. So uh, we got Barry on with us today <laughs> on that contingency. Yeah. So my, my contract, the ink's still wet on that one. <laughs> right. That's fair. I mean, we can guarantee that your copy machine behind you will look whiter than it's ever looked. <laughs> <laughs> We can, uh, we can also put some Longhorn posters behind you. My Ohio State yeah, photos behind me. We can. We, we, will, we will definitively uh, blur those out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we definitely can. I noticed you pull, you placed those. That's good. Um, so, yeah. so I guess before we kind of get into to, too much of the serious stuff, how have you been? What have you guys been, been doing at the pharmacy? Are you dealing with COVID? Just all of that. Just kind of the most recent stuff. Um. You know, first thing we had to do was make sure we kept all the staff and staff and the patients safe. Um, so once we got through that, you know, the big concern when it initially happened was, you know, what's going to happen? So we made some scheduling changes, expand operating hours to make sure that, you know, if we had an issue where a lot of people went down, we were good. Um, and then as things kind of continue to evolve, we've tried to evolve with it. Um, so about six weeks ago, we started curbside COVID testing, um, which was challenging because a lot of the labs didn't want anything to do with any community pharmacies because they were busy, busier than they could be. Is that the national labs and things like that? Like your, your I guess I may not be able to name names, but like your kind of bigger national labs just said, hey, we got too much to do. Exactly. Oh, so see. we partnered with one of the labs that we work with in uh, our outpatient mental health center pharmacy, and we worked with them, and it's gone really well. Patients really appreciate it. It's all appointment-based, uh, so oh, nice. they appreciate the, the time savings. Right. So how did you train your staff to be comfortable with that? I know, I know a lot of pharmacies we talked to were very shaky about getting some COVID testing going. Um. I think we got past that. Uh, granted, initially, I think everybody was very apprehensive, but we started in the middle of, of August. At that point in time, people were feeling much more comfortable with had the safety precautions level. that we had put in place. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're doing that testing. How are you, how are you exposing that to the public? How are you kind of going to, for lack of a better word, going to market with it? Are you are you, is it just kind of educating the current patients you have? Are y'all doing anything else like outside of your four walls to, to, to make sure people know? We're, we're promoting it on social media. Okay. Um, you know, our website, you can actually schedule. So that works out real well for people. They can sign, see what time slots are available, that they pick their time slot and schedule. 
Oh, gotcha. So that's you really cool. you created a tool. So you guys either licensed or created a tool on your website to go. Hey, this is what we offer. This is when we're available. Pick your time slot, and you show up. You got someone on the process perspective, I guess, in the pharmacy, kind of just monitoring the schedule, going, "Hey, this is when people are coming in for it." Right, and, and we're using a lot of the tools from Pioneer as far as you know the day of their appointment. You know, we're just reminding them, making sure that they're going to be on, be there, their scheduled time, what they need to bring with them, so that it's a real efficient process when they're there. Nice. Have you guys been using a lot of texting? Yes. Nice. Nice. Yes, we have. Uh, patients seem to respond really well to that. Um, that was the other change we did. We never, we don't have a drive-through at our pharmacy, and the parking lot of the building doesn't allow for anything like that. So shame on me. We never did curbside pickup until all this happened. Right. And it, it's been one of the best additions that we've done. Um, the staff love it. The patients love it. Great. Um, so. It's just working out real well. Yeah, that, that's one of my personal dreams, that after the COVID crisis goes away, that curbside pickup remains amazing at everywhere. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, I've talked to the staff. What are the things have we not thought about that we should do? And curbside is one of those things, I guess we never really thought about it for whatever reason. Right. Yeah, and I don't remember <laughs> where, but we were talking to a pharmacy, and it was somewhere in the, the deep south, and they referred to it as a toot and scoot. And I thought it was one of the silliest things oh, I've I ever love heard. I love that, actually. And then, I love that. And then the, the COVID crisis comes around, and I'm like... They were geniuses. They were way ahead <laughs> right. of their time. Yeah, they yeah. were geniuses with the, with the toot and scoot. I yeah. love that. It has a great, like, it has a ring to it. You know, That's like, no one ever forgets toot and scoot Yeah. No. Chains can't do that. Yeah. Chains mm -hmm. won't be able to do the toot and scoot. Um, no. Uh, no, at least no. not branded that way. That's for no. sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different meaning in certain areas. Right, right. Um, you're a second generation pharmacist, I believe, right? With your father and 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 the and the and the pharmacy you guys you own now. And can you kind of give us a little bit of just like how you got there and 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 the, the journey with your dad to get where you are? Yeah, my father started in Chicago Falls in 1966. And we were a very small portion of the building. So when everybody comes in, I kind of show them where it started. And, you know, then we've expanded and taken over the, the whole building. Um, it's not that big of a building, but still. <laughs> right. Uh, um, I came back in 1990, and I've been there full time since then. Over the years, we've had different locations. Um, and right now, presently, we have three separate pharmacy locations. How how is your journey getting into and deciding I'm going to be a pharmacist? Um, for me personally, I like science and math, but I also like the business aspect. So to me, it it seemed like a perfect fit. Was you know I I'd be able to be a healthcare provider as a pharmacist, but still be able to use and and develop business skills. Gotcha. And you had no idea what you're going to be getting into 30 years later. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing how fast it changes. I always hear you about learning something. And even from the young people that you, I think, teach, I think you're, you're also a professor um, as well. Uh, can I give us uh, a little I, bit I there? I think I'm a professor. You're right. I, I no. think you are, right? I think that's what it is. I think you're a professor. Um, I, just believe in lifelong learning and, and I like to be around people that are lifelong learners. And, you know, right now I've got a tremendous staff of young pharmacists that are just so excited about, you know, the, the future and potential of community pharmacy. So what do you teach? 
I, I don't. Oh. I actually don't teach. Gotcha. Oh. Gotcha. I, I thought he. I thought he. Well, yeah. I yeah. Thought I thought you it. were an adjunct professor. Is that just for precepting? Preceptors. Oh, okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. Not that wrong. That's yeah, cool. you get to use and abuse free labor for a while. <laughs> no, exactly. it, it's interesting. You know, I, I've noticed, and I don't know how much you've done this. Is we have students come through regularly as well. Um, the top tier pharmacy programs have done really well at bringing in brilliant kids. And then there's a, there's kind of a chasm and you come in and there's a lot of people now that I've noticed in their P4 year that are, let's say mostly unprepared to be pharmacists. Have you guys seen anything like that? Uh, Unfortunately, yes. Um, And and it's discouraging to a certain extent. And I I always think it's what are we actually trying to attract um, as far as pharmacy, future pharmacists. And I, I, we get highly intelligent, but I don't necessarily think they understand what the career opportunities are and are they going to be satisfied in those career opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've talked to many pharmacy schools about, you know, entrepreneurism. You know, how are you recruiting for entrepreneurism? And, you know, a lot of times it doesn't register. Right. No, we, we spent some time and actually worked with AACP, which is the Academy of um, Colleges of Pharmacy, about trying to get people to teach informatics and clinical skills in pharmacy that are not, if you're not in a hospital or, you know, working in a hematology lab, you're not a real pharmacist. And that's just a real disservice to kids who come into my rotation and like, you can work in software development as a pharmacist. Um, and the answer is, yeah. <laughs> it's needed. Is this group kind of of the belief that there's too many pharmacy schools kind of popping up all over the place? I'm an Obviously. unquestionably yes on that group. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I, I also, my bold statement will be, I think in a couple of years, you'll see some of the really expensive private schools disappear. Oh. Like people will stop going and spending 50 grand a year. It's just, it's crazy. Well, and you look at some of the schools, you know, they have a pharmacy class of 300 people, which is just mind blowing. That's huge. Um, yeah, it's very, I mean, I went to the Ohio State University. I had 125 people in my class. I mean, it was a manageable. I knew everybody in my class. Right. I knew all my professors. Mm-hmm. And you noticed Josh, that I had to work that in if you didn't I know, I know. That. I was like, you, no one can say Ohio State University. It has to be the Ohio State uh, University. Josh is a UT grad, everyone. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so I went to the University of Texas at Austin. Mild rivalry <laughs> here. Hey, we're, we're 50-50, right? They won one, we won one. Right. And yeah. we've both been underperforming for uh, the last decade. <laughs> Although I, we I won would, the national championship in 2016, <laughs> yeah. let's not get carried away. Here we go. That's fair. Here we go. The the Longhorns are definitively underperforming in, in a way that's embarrassing. That's fair. I saw a really cool social media post, Barry, on from your pharmacy. Um, it was around. I don't know much about this, so 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 forgive me, but it's around mental health and it looked like a mental health group that you guys really are a part of or support. Um, what, what, what one, what were you supporting there? And then, and then what are you doing with them? Well, it, it's NAMI is the organization. It's national Alliance mental illness okay. and it's the NAMI walks 
that's this this uh, October 10th, and it, it just has a long history that Kleins has been involved in the mental health arena, and the whole concept of the walk is is trying to eliminate stigma stigma with mental illness. Um, but we're very proud to participate. Um, we've got our team captain, uh, one of our pharmacist Emily's doing an outstanding job getting the the team motivated, and, and we're raising money. Um, just kind of a little bit of the history. So when I was young, working at one of my father's pharmacies, we had one in downtown Akron. So we had a lot of patients with mental illness that used to come in in the pharmacy. Um, so I never thought anything about it. Then when I went to school, the Ohio State University, <laughs> you know, in Columbus, Ohio, an urban area, you'd be, I'd be out with my classmates and you'd see people with mental illness and they, they were afraid. And I just, it never registered. Why are people afraid? They just have an illness like diabetes, hypertension, et cetera. So came back, started working with my, my father in the pharmacy. Um, it's when Clausrel came out, which required when it initially came out, weekly blood draws. Okay. So we were the only pharmacy that would, was willing to do the work because it also required prior authorization. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty labor intensive, but that just kind of expanded the whole role and, and just have been very active in mental health in our community and real proud to support NAMI and all the good that they do in our community, trying to eliminate that stigma so that people can have proper mental health. All right. That's really cool. It, it's Mental health is one of those weird things where people almost blame the person like nobody would ever blame you for having cancer. That's crazy. But it's right. like, you know, depression and anxiety, right. it's it's almost like that's your fault somehow. Exactly. With the pandemic and self-isolization, um, I've even watched my, my own kids kind of just struggle with, you know, they're still both remote learning. They will till the end of the year. And um, just, you know, now they've got some sports to deal with and stuff like that. But just the, the that piece of it this year too, I think is is become way more topical than it did before uh, just to bring up and, and, and discuss. And I think that's important, Mark, that people can have open, honest discussions about mental health um, so that we don't have an increase of suicide. You know, they're already saying we're having an increase of substance abuse um, and overdose deaths as a result of it all. So it's all tied together. Yeah, I was reading that they were expecting the the levels of depression and anxiety from this year to be about three times what they would have been otherwise. I mean, right. and even, you know, Mark and I were talking early on, like normally we travel, we go to trade shows and visit pharmacies and family vacations. We haven't done anything like that. And, you know, like right. it got to the point where you feel like it was groundhog day. Every day is the same. And you could see where if you're prone to having problems, like, that would definitively be a problem. Exactly. Exactly. I'll say take care of patients with certain prescriptions that require some blood draws and, and blood tests and things like that. Did that relationship help you with that lab problem you had with COVID testing? Is, is that, that was our solution where that came from? You know, once again, I just had an all head moment. Why don't we just reach out to path lab, the lab that we work with to get, you know, our ANC levels for our clozapine patients. So we reached out to them, said, sure, we can do that for. And 
Wow. You know, we were looking to the state of Ohio for guidance and there was no guidance from anybody. It was just kind of a free for all. With that testing you're doing, who, is that some, a, a cash kind of like, Hey, here's a small fee for, for getting tested. And, or do you have some payers? I think Medicaid pays for that too, but. Right. Yeah. And in the state of Ohio, uh, managed care Medicaid and Medicaid do pay for the tests. Uh, but for everybody else, we charge a $25 fee and, and people have been more than willing to pay $25 fee. We wanted to keep it reasonable. Um, but you know, because of the PPE, the pharmacist time, sure. um, we, we had to have a fee to do it. And then the lab bills the insurance, and if they can get paid, they get paid. If not, uh, they have a grant from HHS nice. that they just uh, balance billing it all. That's really cool. God, that's huge, you know, for those patients in general, especially if you're, if you're servings too, especially mental health patients, typically they're in that bracket of economic status that that either Medicaid's paying for it or it's not happening. I mean, period. Right. And right. Yeah, and we take care of a lot of patients that are in group homes. You know, so there's definitely environments that, you know, it just makes sense for the patient population we take care of. I think you're part of a pilot with, um, you called it, you, you educated me with a medical services organization. Can you give us more about that. Yeah, we are. We're in the initial stages of a pilot where one of the managed care organizations identified, you know, 10 pharmacies in the state of Ohio that they wanted to partner with and develop this program. Um, and they've done that in conjunction with a PSAO and Ohio Pharmacists Association, OPA. And so what the PSAO has done is they have created an, what they're referring to as an MSO, a medical service organization, okay. essentially a contracting agency to partner with all the carriers. Um, and we're all working together trying to build out what this model is, what it looks like, uh, and, and all the intermediate steps so that we can deliver pharmacist-provided services. Yeah, you know, when, when Mark mentioned that yesterday, I was like, of course. Of course, Barry's doing it. That's why I yeah. want to talk to him every year. <laughs> yeah, like, it, it's such a simple and cool idea. You know, like when we're looking at medical billing and pharmacists trying to do any kind of medical billing outside of the adjudicated claim, um, it's just the problems are credentialing and getting a, you know, a health plan to talk to you and having that kind of centralized organization to do that is so simple and yet brilliant. Right. Now, we're, we're real excited to be part of it. Um, the, the credentialing, that was probably the most complicated thing that we've had to go through using CAQH. Um, but we're through that hurdle of it. And now we're getting to the implementation what, timeline. What, what is CAQH? Sorry, I, I don't know. It, it's an, a credentialing body okay. that physicians and providers use. And that's the, essentially the clearinghouse that the insurance companies use to say, okay, this person has a license, they have insurance, and, and they are credentialed to provide these services. How, how long of a process did that take? How, how long does that take? I'm, I'm just trying to think for the other like people listening or pharmacists listening that are going, man, what does it even take to, to what kind of timeline did you work off of? It, 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 I think the unknown was the biggest issue. It really didn't take a great deal of time, Good. but you know, the biggest issue was, you know, do you have an MPI number? Yes or no. 
If you don't have an MPI number, you got to get an MPI number. Then you submit that. And then you have liability insurance, the personal individual liability gotcha. insurance. And that was kind of one of the hiccups that if you're a pharmacy owner, it's different than a staff pharmacist. So, so, so working and coordinating the carriers to get that insurance all put together took the most amount of time. So you're saying when you have an MPI number, you're talking about the individual pharmacist. I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to be correct. the dumb person here. That is correct. And that's, that's the it's biggest at the pharmacist switch. level. Right. The, the big switch in there, you're billing as a provider mm -hmm. rather than as the pharmacy as a whole. Um, it's just it's just something that pharmacies never had to deal with that literally every other healthcare provider on the planet does. There wasn't a whole lot of experience within our organization or within the pilot doing it. So it, it just took us a little bit longer than it will going forward because we've learned our lessons. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's funny is like, you know, when we talk to a lot of pharmacies who've done the, the one off tackle where they've got the, you know, credentialed with one of their bigger plans in the area, it's been a fight because they don't know what to do. And the payer doesn't really know how to credential somebody who's not a physician or a nurse. And so you get a lot of people unwilling to, to move because neither one really knows how to approach it. So having that person in the middle who's kind of done this multiple times to figure it out, it, it just, it seems like a really smart way to get a hurdle where, you know, a hundred thousand pharmacists could theoretically do this now. Right. And, and I give a lot of credit to the state of Ohio and OPA as far as having that conversation up front. It's, we need to have a credentialing standard. So not everybody has their own method mm -hmm. that you have to credential. Let's establish a standard. That's what everybody's going to do. And let's everybody agree to it. Yeah, that's really smart. Um, it's funny, Ohio's done a lot of really cool things and some a little bit odd, but um, <laughs> I, I won't go into positive ID right now. Um, <laughs> we'll leave that one out. We'll leave that I one out. I wasn't going to mention that, John. I wasn't going to mention that. They're, I think they both have some PTSD like, based, based uh, on Positive ID is like my Sisyphean rock. It's just never going to do anything but just be there right um, but you know ohio's been pretty progressive about you know handling testing and you know some of the managed medicare stuff or medicaid rather um so you know are you involved with the board of pharmacy in any capacity or kind of shaping what they're doing i'm not involved with the board of pharmacy but a lot of advocacy with legislators trying to educate them um, we've been having legislators come into the pharmacy quite a bit over the past three to four years and really trying to educate them, you know, A, about reimbursement and what about other services that we can help provide trying to improve the wellness of our community. If you're not doing this, this Cleese Clinical Services or part of a broader organization, I'm going to say and, and part of a broader organization designed to go after these networks figure out how to skip, how to do this at scale in five years, seven years. Are you in pharmacy still? Um, well, I'll, even though I'm going to look like George Clooney or Brad Pitt, <laughs> I am going to be a little bit closer to retirement. That's a tough question to answer. But to your point, I think, I think for healthcare, we have to go there. Okay. Um, I don't know if, you've ever had problems getting in to see your primary care provider. Uh, yes. And that's kind of been my whole just personal experience. I want to stay well. So if, if I have a condition and I know a pharmacist can help me manage it, let's do it. 
And then I only have to see my primary care provider once or twice a year. And they can do a real thorough visit and we can really work together. So that's all driven nice. from personal experience. And that's the vision that I'd like to see us have. Yeah, I mean, obviously with you know care planning and things like that, they all seem kind of nebulous and down the road. But if you look to our neighbors across the Atlantic, most of the places that do well in primary care do well because they leverage pharmacy in ways that we don't. You know, like in England, pharmacists are, are very much the, the primary care um, as well as most of Western Europe. So you only have to look to the right, I suppose, if you're <laughs> yeah. looking at a globe from the front um, to see what's going on. You tie that into some of the rural communities. Oh, I mean, yeah. I have some friends that their pharmacy's the only pharmacy in the entire county. Yeah. I mean, those patients are driving 30 to 40 miles easily to the, see a healthcare provider. We take that for granted, a lot of us. We really, do. yeah, no doubt, and that's what the whole Rutledge kind of—that's some of the, the, the basis of of Rutledge too. They're like these pharmacies are literally the only healthcare provider in some of these counties. Right. Yeah, you know, you, there's always the the movement towards social determinants of health is really around food deserts and, you know, access to care, and in a lot of cases the only healthcare provider and potentially the only place where you can get any kind of health advice is the pharmacy. Every town for the most part has one. Um, that's not true of primary care doctors or, you know, really referrals and, and things that you take for granted that you can ask a pharmacist, like, you know, nutrition counseling. Um, my kid ate something weird. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, that was one of the big things I got right out of pharmacy school was, and I was in, I was in Dallas. I got a lot of moms asking me, Hey, my kid put this in their mouth or they licked the sink or did something weird that kids do that you, you just don't think that right down the road, there's a person who can answer that question for free and right away. Right. Right. And, and it's all about relationships. And I think that's why, you know, I've always liked community pharmacy because you get to develop that relationship. And so when that mom has that experience, you know, Hey, I'll just call, you know, Barry or I'll call the right. pharmacist at Klein's because, you know, I've known him for 20 years at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny and potentially embarrassing to me, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> um, when I was little, I used to like to smell things. Um, and that anything, doesn't surprise me about right? you. <laughs> um, and, and so one time I, I was smelling my aunt's earring and I snorted the earring oh. and it was like a little stud. So it was like way up there. And of course it was like late at night. And, um, the person who removed it was actually our local pharmacist. Oh, that's, that's, that's I'm glad that came full circle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wondered where it was going. <laughs> I did too. I did too. That, that that's makes, fair. Makes total sense. Uh, on a transition note, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dog lover and, and Mark was telling me you guys are doing some really cool stuff with, um, with compounding pet meds. Right. Uh, you know, everybody loves their pets. And so we wanted to create a, essentially a brand. So we created stress-free pet meds um, and, and we promoted to the local veterinaries offices in the community and, and we can offer solutions that make it easier to, for patients to give their med, their meds to their pay, to the to their pets 
at least five, I'll say five to seven years ago, probably not a lot of reaching out to veterinarians between pharmacists in general, a little bit more now, I think, but what is that business dev conversation like? It, it, it's similar to all the other conversations is, you know, you know, you have a problem with pet owners getting their meds to their patients, right. to their pets. Mm -hmm. So we've got solutions. So if you've got a issue that you're struggling with, your pet owner is struggling with, you know, let's see if we can come up with a solution. And I'm not talking pharmaceutical, but whatever that solution could be, you know, whether it's um, an ear gel that gets applied versus an oral. Or just problems with trying to get them to take this tablet. Can we do it in a different right. way? Yeah, I, exactly. I used to have a chocolate lab that was allergic to grass of all things. So she took antihistamines <laughs> and this dog was brilliant. You could hide a pill in anything. She would eat around it and you'd find the little pill sitting around on the floor. Goodness. Luckily I have a, a dog now that's completely insane and will eat anything. So you can give them a straight pill. They'll just mm -hmm. chew it up. No problem. Wow. Yeah. Food. Yeah. Edible. <laughs> I'm into it. And that includes doors and trim. Are, are you also marketing that in the pharmacy itself? Like as with the patients yeah. and, and those and as well? Yes. Nice. Yes. No. So we have point of sale signage um, and ready to have that conversation anytime people bring up their, their pets. Have you seen people bringing in their pets for meds and then the next thing you know, you've got a human patient as well? Uh, not that frequently. Um, we don't see that. We see it the opposite way where we're taking care of a patient with a compound and then it, it migrates to their pet. Um, you also have a, a, a separate pharmacy. I believe it's a separate pharmacy devoted just to um, compliance packaging or adherence in general. Um, I think I'm right. Is that true? Yeah, that, that's correct. In 2017, we, we created something called Klein's AssureMed. Mm -hmm. And part of that, that goes back to the to the mental health foundation, um, that patient population of mental illness usually have multiple disease states along with okay. their mental illness. So medication management is a big time consuming issue. So we were always looking for adherence packing solutions. So that has continued to morph and grow as more people. And, and right now that pharmacy, the average patient's on 10 different medications every month. So wow. they need yeah. assistance managing those medications. So how do you get started in something like that? Um, I think the, the thing is just looking at and having that conversation with the patients and then identifying the patients that who are struggling with their medications, how many medications are they taking, and then what is the critical mass of patients like that? And then you can expand into that as, as that business grows. Mm -hmm. So you kind of took it from an approach of who am I struggling with? How many patients can I help this way? And then, okay, I, once I got to a certain point, you found your break even point, I guess, or something like that and said, all right, we can spin this up and, and just do this. Right, right. We actually had two pharmacies that were doing adherence packaging for you know, different patient populations. One had a big developmentally disabled patient population. Mm -hmm. The other location had the, the mental health. 
Um, we both got to a critical mass and we combined the two of them. Um, you know, once again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, it was a problem. We, we developed a solution. And, and I'm proud to say we've been offering adherence packaging for over 20 years. Um, you know, we've been doing it a lot longer than a lot of other people. Um, we've just tried to get smarter finally about doing it. Yeah, it's funny. Nice. You, you, you kind of get the, the feeling of commercials and admittedly my overuse of Amazon. It feels like they, you know, like, hey, we admit we invented adherence packaging, but then you go out and realize that pharmacies have been doing this for 20 years so and right. yeah. you just didn't have a way to put, you know, a billion dollars behind a marketing campaign. But, you know, honestly, they're our best marketing because right. it makes it aware to more people. And when they fail miserably at it, we just get more business as a result of it because they've done all the patient provider education of the benefit. Right. I, I love that, that, you know, you're looking at them not as a competitor, but as a way to, for free marketing. You know, we, we see a lot of people talk about, are you worried about Amazon? Are you worried about mail order? Like, no, nobody likes those things. They're just educating your people. And then when they call and say, hey, can you do adherence packaging? You're like, absolutely. Here we go. Right. Exactly. And, and we have some provider groups that, you know, tried Amazon service, didn't work well. We had a big influx of business as a result of it. Oh, yeah. Try to return anything. Try to solve any problem with that pharmacy at all. You, you get nowhere. Absolutely. Right. There's no way they have, I guess, I'm going to say the agileness or responsiveness to, to even remotely respond to an issue. They need you on a clock and to be problem-free, and that's it. Right. Yeah, what if you just even right. have a question about your medication? Like, <laughs> right. And, and as I said earlier, we're taking care of some complicated patients right. that have a lot of different medications that medications change. So we have to be nimble, and we have to come up with a solution. So if a medication gets discontinued, a med gets added, how are we going to deal with that? Yeah, and that kind of brings up, you know, like with a lot of – mental health medications, you, you do a lot of titrating and speeding up and backing off. Um, how do you guys handle that when you're adherence packaging? Do you do a lot of patients like seven days at a time, or are you trying to do a whole month? It, we have, we have some patients on seven days, some on 14 days and, and majority of our patients are on 28 days and they can progress from seven to 14 to 28. Um, you know, especially if they're on clozapine and they're getting titrated up on the medication. With a model like that, you pretty much have to have your inventory nailed down. And we do, um, but because we're producing, we're billing and producing a couple of days ahead mm -hmm. um, with some of the features that we've been able to take advantage of with Pioneer, um, it's truly just-in-time inventory. And we're, we're continually trying to improve and, and perfect it so that we have enough inventory on hand at all points in time, mm -hmm. um, but we're not handling that inventory that frequently if we don't have to. I mean, if we're going to go through 3,000 tablets in a week, let's not order 1,000 tablets twice a week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Handle it once. Make sure you hit your number. Yeah. Do it again. Right. Let's repeat. Right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It's funny in a lot of ways, like you're kind of the, the Maslow's hierarchy of what you, we want people to do with Pioneer, right? We talk to them about 
they come in, they want to do all these clinical services. And the reality is you have to be good at inventory first. You have to sync your medications. And then you can start to do all of these cool advanced things that, that you guys are doing. So it's really cool to see what we think happens in real life actually happens. Is that yeah. because you say that because really you have to do those things to give yourself air, right? To, mm -hmm. to even perform on a, on a, you know, even start offering a clinical services and yeah, things like I mean, that, really? You, you basically, it's like swimming. If you're going to tread water for your whole life, you're not going to go after that right away and, you know, swim Olympic laps. You, you really have to be able to understand what's going on. You have to mm -hmm. make sure that you know what's coming in the door and you can kind of control some of the unexpected. You just can't be reactionary and like Barry's kind of the master of that. Well, and I have a lot of, like I said, younger pharmacists that are really excited and eager to learn. And I, I fortunately don't have to learn all of this, um, but we work together to come up with these solutions and it didn't happen day one by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we're just improving our perpetual inventory process and we're going to continue to, because to Josh's point, we understand that's where we can generate time savings. Um, MedSync, we have to generate time savings to be able to offer COVID testing, immunization services, any other clinical services. You know, right now, um, our regular retail, we're only running about 42 to 45% MedSync. We want to, we're shooting for 60%, you know? So we've got a target and, and we're working toward that goal. That's one 42 that we hear is that's high. 60 good. is solid yeah. too. Good Lord. I'll say this too, with perpetual inventory and the way you tightly manage this, just from a being a finance major uh, myself, if you're in a lower margin business, the more turns you have on inventory means the more money in your pocket, like period. That's, that's how that are. You know, that ROE, ROI equation works, you know, in a low margin business, you have to have turns. You have to have tons of turns. Um, so that's, that's really exciting to hear how you guys are aggressively yeah. approaching it. All right. And, and trying to leverage supply agreements and understand with the capabilities that we have to outsource so that we can take advantage of it. And to your point, still maintain those inventory terms. Mm -hmm. The 340B world, I know you work with some nonprofit mental health um, facilities and other things like that, which I think you're a, a, a pharmacy in the, in the 340B space too. There's been a lot of changes there from the manufacturer perspective that they're really aggressively going, you're, you know, Mr. Covered Entity, i.e. The, the hospital or the, or, the, or the clinic going, you're either going to do it this way now, we're not giving you a 340B discount up front, you're going to take it on the back end in the form of a rebate or something like that, or not doing it sometimes at all. What, how has it changed your process, really? It, it's evolving because October 1st, a lot of it came down. Mm -hmm. So therefore, we're trying to evaluate what's it look like, what are the changes, what are the challenges. Um, I'm working with the covered entity, trying to educate them from what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing so that we can kind of work together to come up with a solution to, to keep that, that opportunity going for that covered entity. Nice. Yeah, I imagine that's a lot of coordination with the, with if there's a TPA involved, probably your TPA and probably your whoever your wholesaler relationship is too. Right. Fortunately, we're not we don't have to use a TPA nice. in our 
experience. So that makes it much easier because there's a lot more transparency without having that third party to understand what's a covered claim, what's not a covered claim for 340B. That's kind of the key word. If you want to be successful in healthcare, we need a little bit more transparency in everything. Yeah, no, right. no doubt. We spent about 40 minutes talking about business. So right. let's let's talk about Barry. Aside from being a, a fan of the Ohio State. <laughs> right, we know it, that it was, part. It was just hard for me to even say. Um, <laughs> I know you were. You I'm like, oh, I know. Like, you got, it saw him clam up was, a little bit. It just it hurts. It's painful. Yeah. Um, no. What What else do you like to do? Hey, Mark, get him. A, get him a glass. I of know, right? I got a, He's got a cup right next to him. Actually, he should probably to, take a sip. I have to get that Ohio State taste out of my mouth. <laughs> so, so what else do you do? I'm very fortunate. I'm blessed with three uh, terrific, at this point in time, adult stepchildren. So, our oldest just had um, our first grandson. So. Nice. That happened at the very beginning of COVID. So that's been a lot of fun, a lot of challenges. Oh, yeah. Um, my son-in-law is an emergency medicine physician. So that added a whole other layer of wrinkle to it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a, a baby and an and a ER doc. <laughs> <laughs> and then our middle daughter and her husband live in, in Charlottesville, Virginia. So uh, the plan was to get down to see them much, but they're more sequestered. So, um that's been kind of challenging. And our youngest is out in Boston. He graduates here in December. So he's uh, looking for a job. But uh, he has a lot of great opportunities. So we're real excited for his future as well. Cool. So uh, I, I've. And then college football. <laughs> I can't wait for October 24th, Ohio State versus Nebraska. Nice. So um, nice. I, I have a, a new three year old. And um, it's funny to see how people change from being parents to grandparents and watching my wife's family interact with my daughter. It's totally different. So, you know, how much softer have you gotten as a, as a grandparent? Um, you know, since I've been the step parent, it, it's, it's been, it always was a little bit different because, you know, they were, the youngest was seven when I came into the family. So I never had a small infant. So that's been the newest thing for me is actually seeing and taking care of an infant. Um, that's a completely new experience for me. Um, but I was always a softy. Um, <laughs> the girls will tell you that. Nice. I've always been the softy. Yeah. yeah that, my that's my parents totally 180. I had a, I had strict like, um, be home by X or you're dead kind of before the lights, you know, before the street lights came, they're just so different. They are so, they're those like, Mar I, started, I even tell my wife, you know, my wife, Marsha Perry, I even tell Marsha, that is not who I grew up with. Yeah. <laughs> that is not who I grew up with at all. Yeah. Uh, my wife's parents are definitively, you know, they'll let my daughter do anything she wants. Like they took her to the park right. and I wish this was a fake story, but they took her to the park. And she got to the park and realized that it wasn't the park she wanted to go to. They were there in the parking lot. Oh and she said, no, I want to go to the park with the yellow slide. So they drove across the neighborhood to the other park with the yellow slide. Like, I wouldn't do that. And I know they wouldn't have done that when they were just parents. It's, it's wild. Yeah, can you imagine how that conversation would have gone if you would have asked? Right, yeah. I was like, right. you're walking home after I beat you. Right, right. <laughs> you got this slide. That's it, man. That's it. <laughs> Do you have any of them, your, any of your stepkids or anybody like that kind of pursuing pharmacy at all? 
Um, our oldest is a pharmacist. Um, her and her husband live in Columbus. So she does some remote work with us nice. for third-party audit claim review, okay. uh, clinical claim review. So that's kind of fun that we get to work together on that, at least remotely. Right. So you have a third gen now. Um, yes. <laughs> Good deal. Yes. So if we're we're gonna skirt around the the sports part here, but what what's your take on LeBron? Um, that's right. He was from Akron. Yeah. I hope uh, you know when this airs, hopefully he'll be a champion again. So uh, you know, very proud that he came from Akron, Ohio, and I, he's done a, a tremendous amount of good work here in our community um, for the people of our community, and and very proud of that. Was it tough when he left and went to Miami? Absolutely. Yeah. But he came back and, and won a championship in Cleveland. So, you know, I wish him all the best. Yeah, I was reading, you know, like, love him or hate his basketball style. You know, the, the fact that he's put over a thousand kids in that area through college. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. He, he has, like, his I Promise organization. And, like, over a thousand kids have gone to college because of oh, dang. him. Okay. So I'm like... Dude can play basketball in any city he wants to and still be a hero. Right. Right. And he's, it's not just putting kids to school. He's trying to change families. Um, you know, if you're in the I Promise school and the parents don't have a high school degree, part of the requirement is the parents have to get their GED and they work with oh. the parents to get GEDs. Then they work with the parents to, for job placement. So it, it's transformational. I don't even know any of that. That's huge. It made a big difference in our community. You you participate a lot in other programs in the community too. I feel like you guys are always doing something with the community. I mean, right now you're doing NAMI, but um, you guys are always kind of involved. Right. It, it's, you know, commitment to community is, is something my wife and I feel very strongly about. And, you know, as we get older, it's more challenging for us as individuals but it doesn't mean our organization can't be involved. And, you know, I'm real proud of the team, everybody stepping up and, and getting involved in different aspects of it. Oh, nice. So is that the type of people you hire or the type of people that are interested in that? Or is it that they come in and they, they kind of feel fostered in your community that, question. hey, these other people are doing it and then it's just infectious? Um, I definitely say that's what we look to hire. Um, mm is, you know, we're part of the community and we want people, you know, as cliche as it sounds, you know, we want people to take care of patients like their family. You know, it's your community, let's take care of them because we owe that to the community. And the community has taken care of us for 50 plus years. So how can you not feel right. that way? Yeah, so you're kind of targeting that, I'm gonna call it a gene, that that thing about um, that, when you're bringing in another pharmacist going, hey, if, you know, that, that's one of the big pillars for you guys. If you can do that, you, you know, that's one of the first steps being on this team. Exactly. Without a doubt. It's the, uh, the rubric of you can be smart, but you've got to be a good human too. I like that. <laughs> right. True. Right. And, and, you know, we, we touched on pharmacy education. It's if you do all these clinical services, but you don't know the patient's name, what have you accomplished? Oh yeah, no. And how do you feel rewarded, <laughs> right? Like how do you get reward out of your work if they're a number or a barcode and sure, I did this cool clinical thing, but I have no idea who that is or what it is. Like to me, you just get, you get a better feeling out of it. 
Right. It's developing that relationship and, you know, understanding that you're going to get to know that patient better over the years. And I can say that because I've got years behind me at this point in time. Well, Barry, thank you so much for being on um, the Catalyst podcast with us. Uh, you're always doing something um, new, exciting. I'm glad we got to talk to you about it and, and learn more about what you're doing and what we all, now we, Josh and I, and the team have to try to get behind other pharmacists and help them do as well. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Great seeing you both. And hopefully I'll get to see you both soon sometime. All right. Agreed. Thanks a lot, Barry. Thanks, Barry. Thank you for listening to this Catalyst podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, subscribing, and or following us. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more amazing pharmacy people like you. Follow PioneerX on your preferred social media platform for the latest up-to-date pharmacy news and content.